0: This is a conversation with Chris Fry. Hi, Chris. Uh, Hi, Serge. So, Chris, you're a therapist. You had cancer, survived it, and wrote a book about that.
1: Exactly. Um, Yeah, I was uh, diagnosed as a stage 4 throat and neck cancer survivor in 2007 and uh went through throat surgery, throat and neck surgery, uh radiation and chemotherapy. Um I like to tell folks I, I wanted everything they had and so uh I'm approaching uh four years in remission and decided that, you know, as a as a therapist who had written before that um, one of the things my wife su- suggested is that uh a writer should do what a writer does, and and uh, it would be a good idea to write about it. So I wrote a book uh, titled, A Handbook for Survivors and Caregivers, called, I'm Sorry, It's Cancer, A Handbook of Help and Help for Survivors and Caregivers. Yeah,
0: yeah. And um, I think there's something about the experience of writing this book, Uh, that you said that something happened in a way to your perspective when you you wrote the first draft.
1: Yeah, uh, as we had talked about, um, I had a a great opportunity to go away on retreat and and do some writing, and I came back with the first draft of the book very proud of this lengthy book that I had written as a, a therapist who happened to be a Cancer survivor had a manuscript of about 250 pages and I gave it to my wife to read. She's always the first person that, that reads whatever I write and she's a very um, compassionate but uh, honest editor and uh, and after reading it, she suggested that I really had written a book as a therapist who happened to be a cancer survivor and she wondered if what people really needed was a book from a cancer survivor who just happened to have also have the perspective of a therapist and it really changed um, it was it, it became a much shorter more practical I think more inspired um, much briefer uh, book to uh, reach out to survivors and families to help them with uh, some of the insights that that not just I learned, but the people close to me learned from our experience as
0: we've, you know, traveled through this journey. Yeah. So insights you learned and and insights of people close to you, I think... um, uh you know the title of the book I'm sorry it's cancer and that sense of the door closing in and that sense of being very alone with it and uh what comes across from reading it is actually exactly the opposite of um of that kind of despair but absolutely not in um, some kind of uh, uh poliana rosy uh uh, everything is wonderful, way rose-colored glasses, but something very real, and at the same time, um, that sense of not being alone.
1: Um, very much so. The the title actually comes from the actual appointment when I was diagnosed. In the the ENT, the physician came in and looked at me with a very sad face, and she said, "I'm sorry, Mr. Fry, it's cancer." And the the person that was sitting next to me. You know, in that there was that immediate moment of isolation and aloneness, and then I looked to my left, and my wife was sitting there, and her compassion and and her own sorrow and her own fear just just radiating out of her. Um, so from that very moment, I began to feel the the connection. Very much so, as as you just mentioned, it's it's not. I didn't experience this nor write about it as any kind of uh, Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farm kind of experience. Um, very difficult, painful, and challenging. At the same time, uh, I just had amazing care and an amazing support system of people that walked through me with it. And so the, the first kind of key aspect of the book that I wrote about is, you know, you are not alone. We are not alone, whether it's cancer or any number of other life challenges that, that people face that, um, you know, by nature, I'm a social being and we're, we're beings of connection and, and I did not go through this in isolation. Yeah.
0: So maybe we can talk a little bit about, um, um, how how that happened?
1: What happened? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, for me it was very much a combination of of people I've I've had in my life, and you know, being a therapist and a social worker, um, I've valued connection and relationship and and support systems for many many years. So so it's something that i would certainly devoted energy to before and. And encourage other people that I work with and, and assist and are close to me to develop too. Um, so, so there's that piece of I think for for me and for lots of survivors that that first piece of looking around and saying who's already there, who who already exists in connection with me that that can can be a part of how I walk through this. It's very difficult time. Um, some of us have a tendency, I think, to maybe look for one person, and I was fortunate enough to have that primary person in my life who's a, a fabulous, caring, compassionate woman. At the same time, though, um, there's you know there's a so much larger system for many of us of people who can fulfill a number of different roles, um, Some big, some small. Uh, some people were were there for me every day some people came and went and some people i connected with in terms of new relationships um just at a moment at times we would find that there would be one question or one concern or one fear that we were stumped on and it would seem that if we kept our eyes and ears open someone would pass through that would have the have that piece that we needed in that moment and um, an example I use is that I would go to radiation and, and frequently there was a man before me and a man after me they were not men I knew or had any previous relationship with however we had we had this little small group this small support group where we would compare stories and struggles and and side effects and frustrations and talk about our families and our work um, to this day as I wrote to this day I don't know what their I don't remember what their names were uh, I've never seen them since then but for a few months we had a little informal men's support group that just uh, came out of that necessity that we had uh, as we were sitting there getting ready to to walk into that room and have that machine work on our cancer.
0: Yeah, yeah so just uh, in the moment um, finding the interaction where it is and the connection and uh, uh, even in something of that's not a lasting connection, but finding it there.
1: Very much so. Some of it was very planful in terms of uh, getting information and thinking about how to pick a surgeon or pick a radiation oncologist, pick a clinic, um, locate a certain uh, person that could help me develop a, a healing guided imagery. So some, some of the connections were very planful, and some of them were exactly like we just discussed, um, being present and aware of who was available in that moment who and what was there right then to um, help me get to the next place. mm
0: mm-hmm, mm mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, in a way, when we talk about that uh, that sense of um, optimistic attitude of, uh, uh, you know, it's not the end of it, it's really that moment by moment, it comes from that acknowledging, you know, the, um, the fears and the isolation you have, and, um, you know, just having that uh, orientation to, uh, uh, to looking for the possibility of support. Very much in support that can,
1: can help move through whatever that need is. Sometimes the need was physical and medical, dealing with the treatment, dealing with side effects. Sometimes the, the need was social, you know, connection, support. Someone, sometimes the need was emotional, someone to listen to my anger, or my fear, my, uh, my confusion. Um, sometimes the, the support was spiritual. Um, you know, what does this mean? Why am I here? Why is this happening to me? Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot on a lot of different levels. And one of the things I say when I present about the, the book is that, you know, being a therapist, I have the good fortune to have some therapists as friends, and and er, I believe everyone going through this experience should have several. Um, and, And sometimes those are trained therapists, and sometimes if we look around and really pay attention, we find there are natural healers in our lives. They are not necessarily people with professional training. They are people who know how to support us how to help us clarify things, how to help us make good decisions about treatment, um, people to challenge us. You know, there were people who, in very loving ways, if I was not thinking clearly, which I often wasn't through the, you know, haze of medicine and treatment, um, it, people who can, can lovingly challenge us to make good decisions about our treatment and help us follow through and give ourselves the best chance of, of health.
0: Yeah, yeah. So in that sense, um, you are again not negating at all the uh, difficulties, the fears and uh, uh, all the, um, you know, the difficult aspects of having cancer. But at the same time, um, noticing how that these are circumstances that enabled you to discover the existence uh, of support, the fact that you're not alone.
1: Very much. And and one of the things I encourage a lot of folks to think about in this situation is who who is there that you can turn to. And and oftentimes we have a ready response in terms of of one or two people that we've relied upon a great deal in our lives. However, cancer and I think other life challenges can Can call us to look a little deeper and realize that that maybe there's someone there that would be a greater support if we would allow them in, if we would open our hearts a bit, or maybe there's someone there that we've maybe even had a somewhat contentious relationship with at times that that could be an asset if we would allow it, Um, or someone who could provide one function. I have people tell me, well, this person has... This person is able to it's not very emotionally supportive, and but uh, but they will drive me to my my appointments, and so that's a good example of uh, at times support is allowing someone to do what they're capable of doing rather than rejecting them with a judgment that they can't give us everything we need. Um, so so it's a it's a really kind of different open heart approach of who's there, what do they have available to me, and how do I allow them to come in and and provide what they can provide um, and maybe deal with my disappointment that there's some people that don't have everything I'm looking for.
0: Yeah, yeah. So redefining, in a way, uh, what support means and uh, uh, being able to process the disappointment, being able to cut the various components of support and finding some of them in some people instead of just, uh, you know, writing it off because you can't find everything in one, but just finding the little parts that can add up.
1: Absolutely. You know, people surprised me often. I had people that offered much more than I would have ever expected in people who could do one or two things. Um, and then I had that core, you know, I had the good fortune to have that core of several people like my wife and and a sister-in-law and my sister who were just, uh, if I could, uh, you know, put them in a bottle and give a bottle of them to everybody, they, you know, they epitomize what incredible... Um, love and compassion and caregiving is but but some you know it really was true that there were some folks who could go on walks with me when I could could barely shuffle around Mm -hmm. and and then there were other people who stepped forward in ways that um, truly amazed me that that from previous experience I would not necessarily have have expected my my father came and I first came out of surgery. I had this. I was basically up all night um, when I first got home. Had to sleep sitting up, and my father um, sat up with me several evenings and brought a level of calm to to the interaction at a time when I was I was really debilitated. That that really amazes me. That you know, knowing him my whole life, he brought this whole other level of of calm at a time when uh, when I was very scared. So, again, it's opening, on another level, I think it's also opening up to uh, letting people surprise us because some folks will bring more to, to the table than we might imagine they ever could. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, so, um, we is this, some people who listen to this, you know, can have, uh, personal situation of uh, uh, cancer or really uh, uh, major illness, but for many people who listen to this and do not experience any uh, such problem, this is about, in a way, about how to uh, find and allow support in our lives. And um, the idea that uh, maybe there is a way of opening up to support in a way that we didn't realize. Um, So how would you um, in a way share this uh, with people who don't necessarily have a life-threatening illness?
1: I think it's a great point. Uh, As I was writing the book, I realized I really wasn't just writing about cancer or cancer survivors. I was writing about any number of challenges that people face in their lives, um, from very major things to perhaps things that, that aren't as as comprehensive, uh, and, and even just in our day-to-day functioning, life is stressful. Mm-hmm. Normal life is stressful, getting up and, and going to work and, and dealing with bills and the economy and raising children and being in a family or... Um, living in a city, life, life is challenging and stressful. And none of us, even those, of the, those folks I work with who may be quieter or more introverted, none of us really walks through life in a way, I believe, in a way that is successful and health-giving alone. We, we all can look at um, ways that positive relationships help us move through the day to day, even if it isn't a particularly difficult day, it might be something as simple as I'm late like going to work, and uh, and someone driving in another car gets out of the way and lets me into the line of traffic. Mm. Uh, it's it, uh, it in all kinds of little ways. I believe if we pay attention and we're we're mindful, we can see how opportunities present themselves for. For folks to reach out to us if we will allow it, and in turn, for us to do the give back and and provide the same same in return. Uh, I really believe so much of it has to do with how we allow ourselves to engage with people when those opportunities um, exist, uh, and it doesn't have to be. We don't have to have some kind of a catastrophic. Situation to wake us up to that. Yeah,
0: yeah. So, um, you know, actually, I like that you give a very simple um, occurrence like um, somebody happening to make room for you at a time when you need it in traffic, when you're late. Um, And um, the fact that something like this can happen, but if in a way we're not open to the idea that we live in a supportive world and we actually have that framework that we live in a in a dog eat dog world and uh um, we're all alone, uh we're going to not even be able to notice this or dismiss it because it's not part of this framework. So what you're talking about is some uh mindful uh openness, some curiosity about the fact that maybe the world is a supporting place and being on the lookout for things that might uh, comfort, might be in support of that view.
1: Very much so. And again, it's not a a Pollyanna kind of view. It's not a naive... I don't want to be naive and believe everyone wants to help me all the time. I don't want to live in cynicism that it's a dog-eat-dog world. My reality is that... um, each day, whether I'm dealing with a major challenge or not, I have opportunities to uh, to provide moments of, of support and caring and concern and compassion for others, and I have an opportunity to see see that I'm receiving those too, and oftentimes they happen in very, very simple moments, or very, very simple acts of, of kindness that people do all the time. If I take those in, they certainly balance out my anxieties and fears and frustrations and worries.
0: Yeah. So uh, in your answer, you said, yeah, I don't live in a in, you know, in in a you don't have this Pollyannish vision of the world, and and the book also uh, you talked about very practical things, and you were not trying to uh, uh, to present uh, you know a rosy picture of oh it's all wonderful and so on and so forth. So in a way, uh, another thing that I take away from this view is the sense that you know um, the the world, our life, our experience is going to be this mosaic of uh, things and some of them are going to be attacks and some of them are going to be unpleasant and some of them are support moments and wonderful moments and what it is is the organizing principle around it is the fact that as a human being we have the capacity to actually have some kind of a choice some kind of a filter on what we focus on uh, in order to be able not to negate the fact that there's all kinds of problems but to focus a little bit more on the things that are helpful to us and are a sense of support.
1: Very much. You know, one of the kind of second underlying foundational ideas of the book, the first one being we are not alone. A second uh, fundamental idea is that, at least for, for cancer survivors and caregivers, it is we are not simply recipients of care. We're members of the team. And if I... If I think of that in a larger life perspective, we're we're active participants in this process, um, this opportunity to create support and get the care that we need and and develop a network that helps us not only move through challenges, but one of the things I talk about in the book is uh, create the kind of network that helps us celebrate victories. Um, that we're active it doesn't just happen to us that every day, I'm an active participant in whether I'm creating that kind of world around me where uh, where I'm I'm giving back and I'm getting what I need to to help me move through these challenges. So um, I, I really think it, particularly to disease and medical care and illness, oftentimes many of us have learned a, a pretty either a very passive approach. Or a very aggressive approach. The passive being, you know, there are medical experts, and they will either heal me or they will not. And the aggressive approach is, boy, I'm going to tell them what they better do, and they better do it right. Some somewhere in the middle is is a, a belief I developed in my own treatment, and it really comes from my wife and watching her interact with with uh, my medical team when I had trouble doing that and the, the idea i say in the book is that my wife uh, comes from a place of respect and expect mm. and that she interacted with folks in a very respectful way with the expectation that her loved one would receive excellent care yeah so there was a real strength in that there's a real persistence in that Uh, It's not a passive approach. It's a very participatory, active approach. Uh, At the same time, it was a very respectful and relational approach uh, that the people who were helping us get through this were not just tools for us to use. They were other human beings, Uh, Bernie Siegel, the great surgeon and healer and cancer specialist says that uh, when you go to your clinic today remember to thank the people that are working with you and helping you heal your pain because they left their own lives and their own families and their own concerns to come work with you today.
0: Beautiful.
1: Um, And that was, you know, and I I saw that happen in a very live way through my wife as perhaps a, a nurse would come in on the late shift and and I was not communicative yet very much and maybe she was tired and maybe she was busy and maybe she was a little grumpy and I would watch my wife engage with her and 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 tell this nurse a little bit about who I was and and what I did for for my work And, and then she would see that the the nurse had a charm bracelet on and she would say oh is that from your children and and she would take a moment to find out that the the nurse had two children, and next thing I knew, I was having an interaction with that nurse who was, I was not just this medical patient, I was this person, and we were having a, a brief moment of, of a real human contact. And I absolutely believe because of that, in that moment, my care was better. Yeah,
0: yeah. So that's a, that's a really wonderful example, very, very, very practical and clear of this respect and expect, uh, and how that reintroduces the relationship of two human beings um, in the middle of that medical process.
1: Exactly. It's um, I just um, had to keep reminding myself that um, just like the work I do every day, it's a partnership. You know, the, the, as a therapist, as a social worker, we're taught that that healing is a partnership, and so there are all the whatever the issue in life is. If it's a challenge at work, if it's a challenge in your family, if it's, as I said a moment ago, getting into the flow of traffic mm-hmm. uh, in rush hour, it's a partnership, um, and uh, that's how we get where we go, I believe. And, for some people, that partnership is not, in addition to other human beings, it's, you know, it, it's, a, it's their spiritual life also. It's whatever folks walk with in terms of their their view of the universe or higher power or, or a, a supreme being. Um, you know, it's, it's all kinds, of, I really believe on all kinds of levels, the healing is relational.
0: Thanks, Chris. This conversation is part of the What Sustains Me project. See the website at whatsustainsme.com.
1: I saw that happen in a very live way through my wife as perhaps a a nurse would come in on the late shift and, and I was not communicative yet very much. And maybe she was tired, and maybe she was busy, and maybe she was a little grumpy. And I would watch my wife engage with her, and and, and tell this nurse a little bit about who I was and and what I did for, for my work. And, and then she would see that the the nurse had a charm bracelet on, and she would say, "Oh, is that from your children?" And and she would take a moment to find out that the the nurse had two children. And next thing I knew, I was having an interaction with that nurse who was I was not just this medical patient I was this person and we were having a, a brief moment of of a real human contact and I absolutely believe because of that in that moment my care was better
0: yeah yeah so that's a that's a really wonderful example very 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 practical and clear of this respect and expect uh, and how that reintroduces the relationship of two human beings um, in the middle of that medical process exactly it's um, i just um, had to
1: keep reminding myself that um, just like the work i do every day it's a partnership you know, the, the, as a therapist, as a social worker, we're taught that, that healing is a partnership. And so all the whatever the issue in life is, if it's a challenge at work, if it's a challenge in your family, if it's, as I said a moment ago, getting into the flow of traffic mm-hmm. uh, in rush hour, it's a partnership. Um, and uh, that's how we get where we go, I believe. And for some people, that partnership is not in addition to other human beings. It's you know, it's a, it's their spiritual life also. It's whatever folks walk with in terms of their their view of the universe or higher power or or a, a supreme being. Um, you know, it's it's all kinds. I really believe on all kinds of levels, the
0: healing is relational. Thanks Chris. This is part of the Active Pause podcast at activepause.com.